Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chess Pro Baptist Church. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning in the book of Jeremiah. The title of the series is Faith Facing Oppression. And that is the title of our first sermon in the series, Facing Oppression. Please enjoy. All right, we're beginning a new sermon series today. Uh, men are glad I harped on them for two weeks. And uh, so we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Jeremiah. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 this morning. I'll give you just a second to get there. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, this, this series is called Jeremiah Facing Opposition. And if anything defines what it's like to be a Christian in this day and time in which we live, it's facing opposition. So Jeremiah chapter 1, if you have your places, one last time, I'm going to invite you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. <clears throat> Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 17, now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests and to the people of the land. They will fight against you but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The title of the first message in this series is Facing Opposition. Facing Opposition. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us today. Dear Lord, I pray as we look into the life of your prophet Jeremiah, Lord, and as we look through his life and what he went through and the situations that he dealt with, Lord, I pray that there are some truths in this Word of God, in the Bible, that will jump out and get a hold of us and help us through some hard times. Well, that's one thing that we all have in common is hard times. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, bless this message today, clear our minds and hearts, make them soft to receive the seed of the Word of God. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. David was a mighty king. David was one of the most fierce kings that Israel ever had. At the height of David's ministry, Israel was the biggest that Israel ever was. In fact, David was such a, a fierce king and a mighty king and a warrior king that his son Solomon lived in peace all of his life. Solomon was a great king as well as being the wisest man that ever lived. But, you know, even the wisest man can make a few mistakes. And Solomon definitely had his share of some definite mistakes. But Solomon enjoyed one of the most prosperous kingdoms prosperous times in Israel's history. Solomon died and Solomon's son Rehoboam became king. Rehoboam was very immature and because of his immaturity, Rehoboam split the kingdom in two. The northern kingdom became known as Israel 
And the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is became known as Judah. The northern kingdom was plagued with wicked king after wicked king after wicked king until it come to the point one day when God said, I am done with the northern kingdom of Israel. They're out of here. I'm going to send the Assyrians in and they're going to destroy that kingdom and they're going to go into captivity and they're going to go into slavery. And that's exactly what happened. Now, when the northern kingdom was carried off by Assyria, there's only one reason why the southern kingdom didn't fall then. That was because the southern kingdom had a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, tried to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He, 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 he did right. If you want to trick somebody, say, take your Bibles and turn to first Hezekiah. They'll look through their Bible. There's no Hezekiah in there. But, uh, but listen, uh, Hezekiah was what was a good king. The southern kingdom's king, the, the southern kingdom's fate had not been sealed yet. But Hezekiah on his deathbed turned to the Lord and begged God for 15 more years. God granted his request. It was during that 15 years that a son was born to Hezekiah named Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked and evil king that Judah had ever known. This is a man, Manasseh, King Manasseh was the man responsible for the death of Isaiah the prophet. Put him in a log and sawed him in half. He, was, he pushed Judah into more wickedness and more idolatry than anyone ever had before. It was at this time God decided, okay, Judah... Your fate is sealed. One day you will be taken off into captivity. One day you will be taken off into slavery by Babylon. Now, believe it or not, Manasseh near the end of his life repented. Manasseh got saved, but the damage had already been done. Manasseh had a son whose name was Amon, and Amon became king. Amon was just as bad as dad. It was during this time of the reign of King Amon, either a little before, or maybe it was during. We're not exactly sure. But it was right around this time when a boy was born, and this boy's name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born in a city called Anthonoth. Anthonoth is in the land of Benjamin. But Jeremiah was not a Benjaminite. Uh, and, uh, 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 Jeremiah was actually from the tribe of Levi. His dad was a priest, was a priest named Hilkiah. And, and you could just imagine young Jeremiah watching his dad walk out of the city, walk towards Jerusalem for his priestly duties. You understand that Antonov was only three miles away north of Jerusalem. So as Hilkiah made that trek towards Jerusalem, young Jeremiah could see off in the distance the great walls of the city Jerusalem because it was only three miles away. When Jeremiah was four or five years old, King Amon died. And his son, his eight-year-old son, became king. This eight-year-old son that became king was a king named Josiah. Josiah was a great king. 
Josiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did many things. He threw the idols out of the temple. He, he tore down the pagan temples. He tore down the brothels. He centralized worship back in Jerusalem. He, he reinstituted the feasts. He was such a good king that God said, I make a promise that as long as Josiah is king, that I will withhold judgment from Jerusalem and Judah as long as Josiah is alive. And it was in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, "Around Jeremiah was around 17 to 20 years old at this time, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, I want you to be a prophet. King Josiah reigned for 31 years. At the age of 38, Josiah died. And Jeremiah and the land of Judah just mourned and lamented over the death of this good King Josiah. There's a very, very good possibility that Jeremiah and Josiah knew each other. I mean, he was the prophet, Josiah was the king. Not only did they know each, probably know each other, it's also a good possibility they may have been friends. Jeremiah's ministry spanned over 50 years under the reign of five kings, all the way up to the captivity of Judah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he weeps and mourns over Israel. He weeps and mourns over, over Jerusalem because they turn their back on God for idols. He wrote the book of Lamentations, which a lamentation is a funeral dirge, or in other words, it's a funeral song. And these are funeral songs mourning over the humiliation, the suffering, and the despair that was brought on the city of Jerusalem because the city was burned down by Babylon. But Jeremiah had a difficult task. Jeremiah was to preach a message that nobody wanted to hear. Nobody wanted to hear that their kingdom was in trouble. Nobody wanted to hear that their kingdom would be destroyed. Nobody wanted to hear that they would, that they would die. They had a choice. They could either die or they could be slaves for the rest of their life. I don't know why, but nobody wanted to hear that. This is a message that nobody wanted to hear. In the last verse in chapter 1, God tells Jeremiah, some people are going to fight against you. But who's going to fight against them? Well, we back up one verse to verse 18, and it tells us. It says, Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze. Watch this, against the, first of all, against the whole land. To understand the context of what's going on is to understand the power struggle that's going on in the Middle East at the time of Jeremiah's life. There are three superpowers fighting for dominance in the Middle East. Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. And these three superpowers throughout Jeremiah's ministry is struggling for power. Near the end of Jeremiah's ministry, Babylon overtakes Assyria. But uh, th th this is the power struggle that's going on during his ministry. Next it says to the kings of Judah... After, let me tell you, after Josiah died, each king got worse and worse 
and worse for Jeremiah. All the way up until the last king, King Zedekiah, whose reign was 11 years long. But that is where Jeremiah faced his greatest oppression during the reign of the king Zedekiah, but all of them were bad. And then it says to the princes, or this is the politicians, the political officials. Let me read for you Jeremiah 38, verse 4. Then the officials said to the king, Now let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in the city and of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the well-being of the people, but rather their harm. In the context of that verse, what's going on is Jeremiah has told the people of Israel, if you fight, you will die. If you run, you will die. The only choice you have to live is to give yourself up to slavery. That is it. If you fight, you die. If you run, you die. The only way you live is to give yourself up for slavery. And the political officials did not like Jeremiah. The officials hated Jeremiah so much that they threw him in a cistern, left him in the mud, left him for dead. They sentenced him to die. They tried to kill him. They tried to turn him in for treason. They even burned the first copy of Jeremiah. Did you know the Jeremiah you have in your Bible is the second copy? They burned the first copy. He had to hire a scribe and, and re-give and, and re it to him. By memory, of course, we know it was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But they, they burned the first scrolls of Jeremiah. And then it says the priests, they weren't safe either. Jeremiah preached against them too. Jeremiah preached to them in Jeremiah 18. Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to new owners, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. Think about that. From the prophet to the priest, everybody's greedy for gain. Everybody practices deceit. He didn't care if they're a prophet. He didn't care if they were a priest. He told them the truth. And then finally, the people would fight against him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 16, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. And this is the reason that Jeremiah is preaching against Israel, because they have turned their back on God and they've turned their back to idols. Jeremiah's ministry was marked by oppression. It was marked by suffering. It was marked by a message that nobody wanted to hear. Does that sound familiar to you? Can you relate to that even a little bit? A message that nobody wants to hear. See, Jeremiah was raised in a time growing up. He grew up in a time where God was celebrated. Man, Jeremiah looked back on his childhood and looked back at his time as a young man during the time of King Josiah and thought about how God was, God was celebrated and how, you know, everybody loved God and everybody went to church. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid, the first time I ever saw an atheist. I remember that. I know they're a dime a dozen today. But back then, um, back when Ronald Reagan was president, 
you know, the, there were few and far between. And, and so, you know, you, you, yeah, I remember who it was. It was a friend of my dad's adult son. And really, it, it shook me because I had never seen one before, knew of one. Everybody I knew either went to church or if they didn't go to church, they at least had a respect for God. But man, that seems like so long ago, doesn't it? It's not that way anymore. Atheists are everywhere. There's a trendy word in our day and time, and it's called deconstruction. People are turning away from their faith. Now, I don't have a problem with you reconstructing your religion, reconstructing what you believe. If you've been taught something contrary to this Bible, if you've been pumped full of man-made tradition, if you've been pumped full of preferences being taught as doctrine, if you've been pumped full of, of things that's not in this Bible, preached as if they were, then by all means, reconstruct. Deconstruct what you've learned and relearn what the Bible says. And I'm, not, I'm saying not, not everybody that uses this word deconstruction is a bad thing, but for the most part, it's code for turning away from God. And that's because people don't get their worldview from the church anymore. People don't get their worldview from God anymore. People don't get their worldview from, uh, from the Bible anymore. Now people get their worldview from the news. People get their worldview from social media. They get their worldview from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. And this is where they get their, their worldview from. People turn to atheists online to get their worldview. And if somebody does talk about God online, it's a, it's a liberal professor that tries to interpret the Bible, but at the same time, he denies the power of God. How in the world can you interpret a supernatural book if you don't believe in the supernatural? If you don't believe in miracles, if you don't believe in prophecy, how can somebody promote a book that's centered around a resurrection if you don't believe in the power of God? People are getting their worldview from places that they should not get their worldview from. What it has done is this just destroyed people. It absolutely has. And I keep, I keep going back to why. Why are so many turning their back on the church? Why are so many turning their back on God? Why are so many turning their back on the Bible? What's going on here? And the best thing I can think of is there's a story in the Bible about a man that did something that no other person on the planet has ever done or probably will ever do. There's one man, his name is Peter. And he did something that nobody else did. He's the only one that could ever say he walked on the water with Jesus. Nobody, can have, nobody else can say that. You can see Peter as he's in the boat and he steps out of the boat. And man, he's going towards Jesus, but he's not there yet. And he sees Jesus afar off and he's walking and nobody else has ever done this before. And he's so happy that he's walking towards Jesus. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He puts his eyes on the wind and he puts his eyes on the rain. He puts his eyes on the clouds and the thunder and the lightning. He puts his eyes on the waves as they go up and down. And as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink into the water. Now, Peter made the right choice. He realized he was sinking. He called out to Jesus. He stretched his hand out and Jesus took his hand and saved him. 
Let me tell you why people are turning away from the church today. They're turning away from their faith because their eyes weren't ever on Jesus. I know I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. You put your eyes on a human being, a human being is going to fail you. People say, I, I don't want to be a Christian because I look at how Christians act and I think, oh, well, that's not the right, that's rotten fruit. They Christians shouldn't act like that. There are some people out there that say they're Christians and then they don't act like Christians. What did Jesus say? He warned us of wolves in sheep's clothing. He warned us of this. He told us of false teachers. He warned us of people that will stand before him one day and said, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out devils and do mighty works? And Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He told us this was going to happen. If you put your eyes on a person, that person is going to fail you. If you put your eyes on a church, that church is going to fail you. If you put your eyes on an organization, that organization is going to fail you. If you put your eyes on a political party, that political party is going to fail you. If you put your eyes on a politician, if you put your eyes on a president, all of those people will fail you. But if you never take your eyes off Jesus, Jesus will never fail you. People are walking away from the church today because they're not looking at Jesus. They're looking at other people's lives. Oh, you didn't do right, so Christianity must not be real. No. Humans are going to be humans. Humans are going to act like humans. And even the heroes of the Bible messed up big time. David was a murderer. Oh, Christianity must not be real because David was a murderer. No, because there's something called forgiveness of sin. That's why people are walking away from the world today. It's been that uh, walking away from the faith today. It's been that way since the beginning. That's not a reason to turn away from Jesus. Christian, let me warn you today that you live in a rebellious world. You live in a world that wants to cancel you. They don't care about your job. They don't care about your house. They don't care about your kids. They want to put you out of your house. They want you to lose your job. They want to put you on the street. And they don't care that you can't feed your family. All they want to do is cancel you because you don't agree with them. We live in a rebellious world. We live in a society with a government that allows other religions to thrive, but works actively to silence Christianity and Christianity alone. There are apologists out there that are dedicated to fighting the Judeo-Christian God and don't care about any other God. They only want to attack the Judeo-Christian God. And I think what it boils down to it's the same thing that Jeremiah was fighting. What Jeremiah was fighting was idol worship. I said this the other night and Wednesday night, but I honestly believe that every commandment goes back to the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
Every, all, all 10 of them, all 613 of them, that's all the Jewish commandments in the Old Testament. They all center around that first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because when you sin, you're putting something else in front of God. Jeremiah was fighting idol worship. That's what me and you are fighting today. We are fighting idol worship and the idol is the idol of self. It's people saying, I'm too smart for God. I don't need God in my life. I've evolved beyond the need for God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So how do we keep our faith, man? How do we keep our faith strong? We're going to keep our faith, but how do we keep our faith strong when we're facing a whole world that wants to destroy us? I wants to take away our way of life, wants to constantly attack our Christianity. How do we face such opposition? We all know it's worse now than it's ever been. And I think Jeremiah can help us with this question. I think that through the call of Jeremiah that God is giving us some truths in the Word of God that can help us keep our faith strong through oppression. Let's look at the first one. Look at verse 6 and 7 for me. Then I said, Alas, God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, <coughs> you shall speak. Here's truth number one. If you focus on your failures, you will fail. If you focus on your failures, you will fail. Jeremiah said, God, I can't speak. God, I'm, I'm, I'm too young. Jeremiah was going through something called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is when you've got a job to do and you feel incapable of doing that job. You feel inadequate in doing that job. You feel inept at doing that job. Do you ever feel like Jeremiah? Do you ever feel like you fall short and you're not good enough? Do you ever feel like you don't measure up? How many Christians feel like that today? Brett, you tell me to share the gospel. I don't know how to share the gospel. I've never told anybody about Jesus. Pray. I don't know if I could pray around another person. Forget about praying out loud in front of a crowd, just praying with my family. I don't know if I can do that. Sing? I get so self-conscious at singing you know, give my testimony to someone to help someone else. Man, I don't know if I can do that. And we make excuses and we say, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too set in my ways. Moses said, I can't speak. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. Do you feel inadequate today? Do you feel inadequate with your family? Do you feel like your family's falling apart and you don't know what to do? Like the harder you try, the bigger mess you make. You feel like that in your job? People mock you because of your stand, because of how you act. You're respectful because you're Christian, but because you're respectful, they try to take advantage of you. Do you feel like people try to take advantage of you because you're Christian? You feel inadequate in your Christian life. Brett, I try to be a good Christian. But man, it just seems like I fail over and over and over 
and over again. Do you feel like that? What was God's response to Jeremiah? Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. You know what God said? God said, don't say it. Don't say you're too young, Jeremiah. That doesn't matter. Don't say you're too young because I called a young boy named David and that young boy named David killed a lion and killed a bear and killed a giant named Goliath. Don't say that you're too young because one day I'm going to call a young man, a young baby out of the womb named John the Baptist and I'm going to call him out of the womb because that's where life starts and I'm going to call John the Baptist and John the Baptist is going to grow up and he's going to do a great work for me. Do not say I am young because one day an apostle named Paul is going to write a letter to a young man, a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And he's going to say to Timothy, Timothy, let no man despise your youth. And look, Jeremiah might have, a, might have had a valid case. I mean, Jeremiah is 17, 20 years old. Maybe that is a little too young to be going before the king. But you know what? That didn't matter to God. Because God uses weak people. God uses inadequate people. Instead of focusing on your weakness, you focus on your mission. That's what you need to do. Focus on your mission. So stop worrying about your weakness and stop stop worrying about where you fall short and put your eyes on the prize. What did God say to Jeremiah? Don't worry about that. You just go where I tell you to go and you speak what I tell you to speak. God did the same thing to Moses. Moses. Moses said, I can't speak. Okay, here's Aaron. And I think that Jeremiah had a better case than Moses did. Because God gave Moses Aaron to speak for him and then Aaron never said anything. Moses still did all the talking. So I think Jeremiah had a better case. The Apostle Paul suffered with a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to take it away, and God did answer him. His answer was no. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Today you feel inadequate. Today, you feel like you don't make enough money. You feel like you can't pay your bills. You feel like you have financial hardship after financial hardship. You can't provide for your family and you feel like you're inadequate. Maybe you feel like people around you know more than you. Maybe you're having to fake it till you make it and, and the, the fact that you, people know more than you, man, man it just makes you feel, uh, this hurts your self-confidence. Maybe today you feel unliked, you feel unloved, and you feel underappreciated. Maybe in your Christian life you do fail over and over and over. Maybe you say, Brett, I want to pray, but I get busy and I run out of time and I forget to pray. I forget to do it sometimes. Maybe you want to read your Bible every day and same thing. You, you run out of time or you don't do it. Or maybe you read your Bible, but when you read your Bible, you fall asleep. 
Maybe you struggle to give. Times are tough. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And you've got to admit, sometimes you give and it's not cheerful. You know what that makes you? Human. Makes you a human being. You know what the problem is? The problem is, is when we let our past mistakes dictate our future mission. When you let your past influence your present, you will get depressed. When you let your past influence your present, you will get discouraged. When you let your past influence your present, you are going to get down in the dumps. And when you do, you are open for opposition to come in. You are wide open. Let me tell you something. If you get depressed over where you fall short, when opposition does come against you, you know what you're going to do? You're going to bolt. You're going to leave. You're going to quit. You're going to pick up your ball and go home. Instead of focusing on your failures, you need to focus on your mission. Mom, dad, you need to focus on those kids. You need to focus on those grandbabies. How much closer are your children going to be to God because of you? That's what you need to focus on. What you need to focus on, instead of focusing on your past failures, you need to focus on the gospel. How can you get the gospel in somebody's hand this week? How can you do that? How can you bring up Jesus in the conversation with somebody? You need to focus on listening to some, to some praise music. You don't have to do it 24-7, but every once in a while, turn on K-Love. Put in a CD. Put in something. Put on some praise music. Sing about and just get lost in God's love for you. You need to focus on studying your Bible. The verse does not say, read your Bible to show yourself approved. It says, study your Bible. Let me tell you this. You will get more out of reading one paragraph ten times than you will out of reading ten chapters a day. You take that one, not even a whole chapter, you take that one paragraph and you read it and you reread it and you reread it and you underline the verbs and you circle the nouns and you find out the subject and the object are the imperatives. You ask the questions when, where, what, how, why, and you read that one paragraph and I guarantee you'll get more out of your Bible and the Holy Spirit will get, begin to speak to you than you will if you read your Bible through in six months. I promise you will. Truth number one, if you focus on your failures, you will fail against opposition. Truth number two, the sovereignty of God prepares you for opposition. The sovereignty of God prepares you for opposition. The sovereignty of God, all that phrase means, it just means that God is ruler over all. He is king and he is in complete control over everything that happens. He created a universe and in this universe, we have free will. Some people say that Christians don't have free will. That's not true. The Bible is very clear. We have free will, but he has orchestrated and he is so much in control that even though he has given us free will, his will still comes to pass. So knowing this, he lets Jeremiah know a few things. First, he would let him know, I know you. I knew you. 
God isn't just saying that, I, that Jeremiah, I have a head knowledge of you because he's omniscient. It's more than that. When God says, I knew you before, I, before the womb, before the foundation of the world, he's saying, Jeremiah, I loved you. I loved you before I formed you. And where did he say he loved him? He loved him he loved him before he was born. No, the verse says he loved him before he was conceived because that's where life begins. Psalm 139, 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And what the psalmist is saying is that God loved me in the womb. You see, there's a principle in the Bible that some people are scared of, but there's no need to be scared of it. And it's called predestination. This doctrine of predestination, it's in the Bible. And all it means is God decreed or ordained everything that should happen. And God predestined those who would be his children. But here's the thing. The Bible also states the avenue through which that predestination comes. It says we are elect through the foreknowledge of God. God in eternity past looked forward and knew he who would be his children, knew who would turn to him, and he predestined them and placed a special blessing on them and set them apart. He did the same thing for Paul. Romans 1. Actually, I skipped ahead a little bit. So know that you are pre-loved. Number two, know that he consecrated you. What that means is that he sanctified you. He set you apart. Romans uh, 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. You were preset for service. So what he's telling Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, I loved you before you were born. I set you apart for a mission before you were born. And then number three, he said you were appointed. Now, this appointment for Jeremiah is like being appointed to an office, to a job or task. He is appointed to this job of being a prophet. But I would submit to you that it's not only an appointment on, for a task, like you're ordaining somebody, but it's also an appointment on a schedule. See, when Jeremiah is going along in his life and he gets to this divine appointment, he's made a prophet. And then he goes on about his life and then he gets to another divine appointment. And we all have divine appointments in our life. Let me give you an example. Jacob is running for his life. Jacob is running for now. Now granted, Jacob put himself in this mess. He stole Esau's birthright. But Jacob is scared and Jacob is running from his life and he, he leaves everything behind. He goes out in such a hurry. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a tent or a blanket. He doesn't have any possessions. He leaves as fast as he can with nothing in his hands because he's afraid for his life because Esau is going to kill him. He leaves with absolutely nothing. He's fleeing. He's being oppressed and he comes to a place to sleep. He, he does, he, he's so poor, he doesn't have anything, he has to use a rock as a pillow. But little did Jacob know, that night he had a divine appointment. 
That night when he laid his head down on that pillow and he slept and he dreamed a dream and he had the dream what we like to call Jacob's ladder. And Jacob's ladder is a ladder and he saw this ladder and angels were ascending and descending from heaven. And what Jacob didn't know is he had just seen a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ in his vision. And Jacob awoke after his divine appointment and he was refreshed. He was refocused. And he was ready to move on. He rededicated himself to God in that moment. He took that, he took that rock and he, upon it he built an altar. And he called that place Bethel, the house of God. Twenty years later, he would come back to that altar. He would re-rededicate his life to God at that altar. These are divine appointments in Jacob's life. Jeremiah had divine appointments in his life. And Christian, bless God, you have divine appointments in your life. When opposition comes against you, I want you to know that victory is not only assured, but God's put it on the schedule. You just got to get to it. I remember when I was setting, when I was making appointments uh, for uh, my oil chain shop and I was setting vacations, I'd always set my vacation at least six months ahead of time, sometimes a year, because I didn't want there to be any confusion. But you're fighting a battle today. I want you to know that you're loved, you're chosen, you're set apart. Victory is down the road. It's already on the schedule. You just got to get to it. So truth number one, if you focus on your failures, you will fail against opposition. Truth number two, the sovereignty of God prepares you for opposition. And finally, this morning, what makes you vulnerable to opposition is fear. Let's read verse eight. <clears throat> Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. God said, Don't be afraid. And they gave him reasons not to be afraid. Let me, let me remind you real quick what Jeremiah was dealing with. Jeremiah 7.27 you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. And you shall call to them, and they will not answer you. Jeremiah, in his ministry, was beaten, thrown in the stocks, left to die, sentenced to death, called a liar, had his scrolls burned. And what did God say? Do not be afraid. Christian, do you know what truly makes you inadequate? Fear. Fear makes you inadequate. Franklin D. Roosevelt said probably one of the most famous modern quotes on fear in his 1933 inaugural address when he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Of course, we all know the verse in the Bible, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These people of Israel, they wanted to kill Jeremiah. They wanted to break Jeremiah. But they, did, they made one fatal mistake. They had one fatal flaw in their planning against Jeremiah. Is they underestimated the God he served. God said, Jeremiah, I'm going to remind you of some things that the enemy is going to underestimate. 
Number one, do not underestimate God's delivery. God said, Jeremiah, I am with you. I will deliver you. Jeremiah, I am greater than any foe that you've ever faced. I'm greater than any enemy. I'm greater than the world that comes against you. I'm greater than the atheists that deny God. I'm greater than the God-haters that, that, that actively go against you and try to destroy you and your faith. I'm greater than the haters of your job. I'm greater than, than, than your health issue. I'm greater than any enemy you're going to face. Number two, do not underestimate God's equipping. He said, I have put my words in your mouth. Now the words that were put in Jeremiah's mouth were words of prophecy. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. Matthew 10, 19, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. The Holy Spirit supplies our needs. He supplies our speech. See, that's the advantage we have over the world is the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. Listen to this. Here's what you got to do. If you want the Holy Spirit to put words in your mouth to speak for you, here's what you got to do. Every day you have to yield to Him. Every day when your brain turns on, I didn't say when you get out of bed, because I know when you get out of bed your brain's still off. I know mine is. My brain doesn't kick in until I brush my teeth and then I'm like, oh, I'm awake. I didn't know. And uh, so uh, when your brain kicks in, the first thing you got to do is you have to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit every single day. And then number three, do not underestimate God's influence in your life. Verse 10, see, I've appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. And I think this verse 10 goes deeper than Jeremiah could have ever imagined it would go. Because it not only includes the Israel of the day, it not only includes the surrounding countries of the Middle East 2,600 years ago, but we are in that verse. We are part of the nations that are influenced by Jeremiah's ministry. And I don't, I don't know if Jeremiah really grasps the fact that one day, 2,600 years into the future, 7,000 miles away on the other side of the world on a continent that has not even been discovered yet, that there would be a group of people in a place called Chesbro, Louisiana, reading his book and being influenced by his ministry through the Spirit of God. God, no matter what enemy you're facing, God can deliver you. The Holy Spirit can supply your need, but the influence from your hardship can help others. You understand when you go through a hard time, you have a story to tell. And the best way to utilize that is to go to another person, go to an individual that's going through what you go through, talk to them about it. Maybe you know somebody who's going through a divorce. You've been there. You can help them. Maybe you know somebody who's going through a financial hardship. You've had tough times. You can help them. Maybe there's somebody you know that's going through a health scare. You've been there. You can help them. Maybe somebody's dealing with a lost loved one. You've been there. You can help them. A preacher by the name of Mark Cherona said this. He said, 
the more opposition you face, the bigger and better God's plan is for you. Jeremiah faced constant oppression, but guess what? So did Jesus. They stalked his disciples. They criticized his behavior. They condemned his values. They conspired to destroy him. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. So what do we do when we face oppression? We got to listen to God. He said, I will deliver you. I will give you the words to speak. I will put words in your mouth. Do not be afraid. Christian, victory is assured because God's already put it on the schedule. You just got to get to it. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the testimony of a prophet, Jeremiah. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us today. I know there are Christians in this church today that are going through a hard time. They're going through a rough time today, God. They're facing some opposition in their life, whether that opposition is physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, Lord. Maybe it's a, a hard time because they're a Christian. Maybe it's a hard time because they're a human being, Lord. But we have some hard times. We've got some oppression today, Lord. What we need is we need to have faith in you, have faith in your word, Lord, that you will stand up for us, you will deliver us, you will give us the words to say. We just need to have faith in you to stick it out, not take our eyes off of you and focus on other people, but be like Peter at the end when all he did was keep his eyes on Jesus. Lord, if there be someone in this room today that does not know that they're saved, Dear Jesus, I pray if there be someone today that if they died today, they do not know if they would go to heaven, Lord. They don't know that they've ever been saved. Lord, I pray today they know, Lord, that they can come to an altar or they can get my attention after service and I'll take a Bible and show them how they can know that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, I pray that if there be anybody lost and undone in this service today, that they would get that settled before they leave the property. Lord, be with us during our invitation meditation time, Lord. Help us to meditate on the words of God and do business with you today. Bless our invitation. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the music plays. You do business with God.